Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. I hope you're all doing well. This is my first show of the new year, so I'm wishing all of you a happy 2021 filled with good health and vaccines. And let's all just hope for peace and calm. That's all I'm going to say about um, the state of our country right now. Um, I do think that today is going to be a really fun show. Um, in the second and third segments, I'll be answering listener questions with Shannon Vesconcelos, um, who's one of our college finance consultants. Um, and I want to take this opportunity to encourage you to submit questions of your own. We do answer those questions on a regular basis. And the easiest way to do it is going to be through social media like Facebook or Instagram. So, uh, but for the first segment, we have the lovely Mary Sue Yoon here. She's a fellow college coach, educational consultant, and she and I are going to be talking about bloopers or what not to do during your college search and application process. <laughs> so, um, so Mary Sue, I'm kind of curious about, you know, your definition of bloopers. Like, do you have some categories that you think about? And then let's kind of dive into sort of some of the biggest absolute no-nos that you can think of. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few different areas where students can kind of do blooper things. Um, essays being probably the biggest, but also sometimes just in the correspondence with the school or in submitting the application um, or sometimes in interviews. So, yeah, there's a few different areas that we can kind of talk about with those. Mm -hmm. I do think essays are the biggest ones, just partially because that's how most students kind of show their personality to us the most. It's kind of got the most room for error, you know, to be like really embarrassing. Right. Yeah, um, so like what's, what are like an example or two that you can think of there? Yeah. So, I mean, some of them are sort of um, innocent word choice mistakes, uh, you know, malapropisms where the student just uses the wrong phrase. Um, one that's been going around our team for a while is that a student who wrote a right from the gecko um, on an essay, like gecko like the salamander, not, you know, not right from the get-go, which is what it's supposed to be. Um, or the things that I would commonly see, like things like intensive purposes instead of intense and purposes. So if you're using uh, a sort of fairly recognizable, you know, phrase that is a a cliched phrase, just make sure you know what the phrase is <laughs> um, and that you're using it correctly because I think that those ones can kind of uh, lead to some, some chuckles and passed around essays in the admissions office of that list. Mm -hmm. Any uh, any ones you can think of that are in that sort of? Yeah, well, the biggest one that, that we used to see all the time was students um, putting in, you know, we, like when I worked at University of Chicago, you know, the, the why Chicago essay was quite important. And um, students would say things like, I, I want to attend Chicago because it has one of the best chemistry departments. Um, and I can't wait to live, move to the city of Philadelphia. Right. So obviously they were actually writing about UPenn and, right. you know, some of them even forgot to change UPenn. They'd say, I want to go to UPenn because it has one of the best chemistry departments. And it's like, well, um, Chicago does, in fact, have a truly great chemistry department, but we are neither UPenn nor in Philadelphia. So that that is not that is not helpful. <laughs> yeah, we used to see at Barnard um, quite a few students who would do something similar to that. Either they would put um, Brown in or another school that that maybe was was similar um into the actual essay or um my favorites were always the students who said you know i want to come to barnard because of your excellent engineering program um barnard is a women's college in new york city and does not have a, an engineering program um so and mm -hmm. you know i think like okay you haven't done your basic research on the school even though you got the name of the school right in the essay you haven't done your basic research about what mm -hmm. we offered yeah, those are those are really like things to be very careful of um, and even getting things wrong in terms of, 
like, you know, maybe a school has, this didn't happen in Chicago back in the day. I mean, I had the same thing happen. A student wrote in about, you know, how great our engineering program was and Chicago has engineering now, but we did not back then. So, um, but I've also seen students make pretty major mistakes in at a school that has engineering, but not having really looked into the kind of engineering that they offer, mm -hmm. kind of assuming that any school is going to have biomedical engineering. And, and mm -hmm. just because you have engineering doesn't mean you have biomedical or, or things right. like that. So. Yep. I would also see sometimes the sort of gimmicky kind of things in essays where people tried some sort of gimmick thinking it was going to work to catch the admissions officer's eye. Um, one of the worst offenders of this was a student who I remember many, many years ago who um, actually sent in their essay in paper and had written it all um, backwards in a spiral in pink pen so that the admissions officer to read the essay had to hold it up to a mirror um, and read the spiral out. Um, and I think they thought that the presentation of the essay was going to make it stand out. And in truth, it just made us really annoyed um, because you're often reading dozens of applications a day. And so to sort of like squint and sort of see like, okay, I have to put this in a spiral and look at it in a mirror and figure out what the student's trying to say was not winning any favors um, mm -hmm. in our office. One of the, one of the real upsides to... Um um, one of the real upsides, I think, to the common application and online stuff is that that is not yeah. uh, something that can happen anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Really glad. Yeah, because we had a student um, at University of Chicago who did... Um, what did she write? She wrote an essay. Actually, I think this was a boy where she drew a picture of a big heart and wrote this and didn't like this multi-dimensional space called love and kind of did a similar thing to what you described your mm -hmm. student doing. I mean, you are standing out and that I, we still remember that student, but it's right. not in a good way. You know, you can no. stand out for, for bad reasons too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, but, but I do think the biggest thing is, is yeah, the malaprops, like mm -hmm. absolute, just complete, you know, using words that sound like they might be right, but they're really not. So if it's not a word mm -hmm. that you use all the time, you know, definitely don't, um, don't, do not use it in your essays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we would see there was lots of, there was words that we would see that were clear that the student had used the thesaurus heavily in, uh, editing their essay and perhaps, you know, had added in some words that they don't normally use. Um, I think all of us, uh, who now read essays have a few that kind of come up and like, oh, please don't use that word, but, you know, sort of plethora or myriad or some of those words that are just sort of overused and are not <laughs> normally in a teenager's, um, you know, everyday speech. So it just feels like the student is sort of artificially trying to inflate their language um, in a mm -hmm. way that's not genuine to them. The other thing I would say are words like unparalleled or mm, unique. Yeah. Um, it's very rare that schools are unparalleled or have a program that is unparalleled or have a program that is completely unique. I'm not saying it's never unique, but it's pretty rare, you know, mm -hmm. like as amazing as a school as like, say, Cornell is. I was reading an essay recently for Cornell, and I know you went there. Go Cornell. Great school. But unparalleled right. engineering. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a truly great program. It's really excellent. But are there parallel programs? Yes, I think there probably are. There's a few. There's probably not most. It's probably better than most. But unparalleled, stay away from that kind of hyperbole. I think that's probably the most important thing to note there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Anything outside of essays? I'm kind of curious about uh, um, other bloopers too. Um, I think in interviews, just you know. Uh, there are a few times that a student, um, I always say when I'm um, preparing students for interviews that I can probably count on one hand the number of times that I truly wrote up a bad interview write-up about a student. Um, but those few times were kind of real doozies, you know, like a student who um, came in and just started talking to me like I was, you know, their, their best friend and telling me about sort of their date with their boyfriend that previous weekend and sort of like everything that they did was really too much information and really much more than the admissions officer needed to know. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, those kind of things of being like way too casual and chatty and inappropriately so in a, an interview, I think came up a few times. 
um, where it's like, I know that admissions officers are generally pretty friendly people and like talking to students, but um, we weren't your best friend and it was a professional situation. So I think keeping that level mm-hmm. of professionalism um, is important. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes a student kind of forgetting, like maybe it was their, you know, fifth interview, kind of forgetting where they were or sort of it's similar to some of mm-hmm. the is like kind of forgetting what programs the school had or uh, confusing our school even that they were, you know, perhaps in the office interviewing with us with another school in the way that they described why they liked the college. Um, you know, those kind of things came up sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you have anything that was a particular interview mistakes that you thought of? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I was I was ready to jump in when you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember one time I was visiting um, a small college here in Connecticut and um there had been some kind of a mix up like there were there was a family there was like a son a mother and son in the lobby and there'd been some kind of a mix up with the interview and i really seemed to sounded to me like the they had scheduled it for the wrong date they'd written down the wrong date so they were being so rude to the receptionist about it i mean i understood being upset because they'd driven 3 hours to be there you know that kind of a thing but instead of saying oh this is very disappointing um you know what what can we do what's what's possible here which mm-hmm. would have been very fair they were really like being rude. And I thought, you know what, as an admission counselor, if I saw that or heard about that, like, yeah, you're out. Like there's, there's, it's kind of like, um, you know, hopefully this isn't inappropriate, but like if you're on a date and that person is rude to the waiter or waitress, mm-hmm. like this is just a deal breaker because it says something really bad about who you are. So remember that it's also not just about being polite to the admission officer, but that admission officer really cares about what kind of a member of the community you're going to be as well. Absolutely. So I, I would say that that is actually um, a very big one. And then the other one is, you know, try really hard not to be late. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but, you know, when we were at Chicago, we would always tell students, um, you know, there's parking around here is pretty limited. So you might want to get here early. That's not a huge thing. Like that's not something that we typically got like too upset with the students for, but if you were too late for an interview, we probably couldn't book you again. Right. You know, that same day, you might have just been too late because we were so booked up. So that comes to mind for me as well. Yeah. Um, certainly, there's also things like in the application process, like as a parent um, signing the application or signing the early decision agreement for a student um, so that, you know, the student was not aware that they were applying early decision sometimes or um or I, I do remember a case where actually the student had applied early decision and the parent was not aware um, and calling. We had a program where we called up all our early decision admits a couple weeks after the admission, you know, just kind of congratulating them with welcoming them to the community. And a, one of our student helpers calling and the parent going, you're not going to New York City, you know, it was sort of the first the parent had heard that the student had uh, applied yeah. a decision and have gotten in. So, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so make sure that your parents are aware of what you're doing because uh, it's not a good surprise. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, very much. That might go beyond blooper. That goes yeah. to, uh, I think, challenging family dynamics. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I think those are all the ones that really came to mind for me. I mean, I have one more that is just kind of a funny story to me. Yeah. I mean, Um, So I gave a presentation, you know, I was the the admission counselor who gave the information session one day and then um, one of the students who were in there, who was in there, was being interviewed by one of my colleagues and she mentioned something um, that I had said and so the student said, oh, what, what that Sally chick said. Like he called me Sally Chick in an interview. So the interviewer said, um, you know, that Sally Chick is in charge of your state. (laughs) She's in charge. She's really going to be in charge of whether you get in or not, largely. Uh, And then, of course, she told me. So it became like a big joke around the office that people called me Sally Chick. But I can promise you, as funny as the story is to me, it did not make me look kindly upon that student. So... I, I doubt that the student was trying to be as rude as he was, but like, think about what your normal speech patterns are and how those are going to come across, you know, it's, it's in, in the, uh, in the interview, it just might be something to consider. Yeah. Carefully. <laughs> so. 
Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that's it. Unless you have any last stories. Um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, the. I think you're absolutely right. And sort of be kind, not just to your admissions person, but everyone around um, that that area. Um, we certainly many times in admissions offices, the receptionists are longstanding and beloved members of the team, and so. Don't ever be rude to the receptionist. (laughs) I think think that's a great thing to end on. Don't be rude to waiters. Don't be rude to receptionists, et cetera, et cetera. So, all right. Thanks, Mary Sue. So um, we're going to be taking a short break. But when we return, Shannon Vasconcelos and I will be responding to listener questions about college and admission finance topics. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. College admissions can be stressful. But Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Shannon. So excited to have you here for listener questions. Thank you, Sally. I'm excited to be here. All right, great. So I think we were going to start with a question for me. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Yes. So we've gotten a bunch of questions about schools being test optional. Um, So I think I'll kind of lump them in together. Are more schools going to go test optional? If a school is test optional, under what circumstances should we still submit scores? How will a school being test optional impact the review process? And then should my child even bother doing test prep and taking the SAT or ACT if they can because so many colleges have gone test optional? Is there even a point anymore? So I'm going to start with the last one because that's kind of easiest in general. We're still recommending that students do tests. I mean, I guess the exception to that would be if you know that your child is a truly terrible tester that they test in a way that is in no way reflective of their grades and they've just never been able to crack that nut open like it's just you know um but even then if what you want is a public university most of those are probably going to go back to requiring tests so even if your child is a terrible tester they will still probably have really good odds um, of finding test optional, a full test optional list if they're applying to small liberal arts colleges, private colleges in general. But this, it would be very, very risky to not test at all, um, even if you're a terrible tester, if you're applying to public schools. Now, the exception to that seems to be the state of California, where we know, you know, they've already announced. So if your local public schools have already said we're test optional until 
2024 or, you know, whatever it might be, then, then that might answer your question. So I recommend that you do some research though, because in general, if you don't know, if your list is still really up in the air, um, I would recommend that you try and test Um, because, you know, honestly, also some of the schools that are test optional, they still might want it for scholarships. That's something that, you know, mm-hmm. you can address. Um, and the other thing is, if you're a good tester, it might help you get in to a school. Right. Like, let's say you're a student whose grades are very solid, but they're not top, top, right? But you're a good tester. That is a situation where getting a really good test score could really help you. I had a student who... I mean, honestly, I was pretty worried about him at first because his test scores weren't that great either. But then he brought them up. Um, he was honestly below a 2.5, but then he ended up getting a 1,200 on the SAT. Guess what? That really that helped, helped him yeah. a lot. Like, <laughs> that was huge for him. And he, it would have been big even if he'd gotten an 1,100. That would have been helpful, right? So, you know, right. um, so my basic thing is I would recommend taking it. You don't need to rush into it. Um, a lot of students seem to think that they're supposed to be getting their SATs out of the way in the fall of their junior year. And so they might be stressed that they weren't able to do that. No, these tests are designed to be taken in the spring of the junior year. And if you can't take it then because of COVID, um, you know, there's August, there's September, there's October, November, December. There's still going to be kind of options down the road um, for the ACT. There's July as well. Like, so you really, really do have some times and opportunities. Um, yeah, I like that. Optional is optional. So don't stress about it. Right. But if you do have the opportunity, why not take it? If you do great, you can send them and they'll help. And if you don't do great, you don't have to send them. Exactly. That brings yeah. me right into sort of one of the other questions, which is when should you send them? Right. You don't have to send them. There's really, again, there's no downside to taking these tests other than the time you have to put into them, which I get is not always nothing. Right. Um, but you don't have to send them if a school is test optional. So it could really only is going to help you. Um, so when do you decide whether to send them or not? Well, I always advise that students take a look at what are the average test scores for that school. And if you're basically at the 50% mark or above, you can feel very confident about sending them. You might even feel confident if your test scores are a little lower than that. But in general, I recommend if a student has a strong academic profile for that school through their transcript, but their test scores are a little lower than that midpoint, then definitely don't send them. If your academic profile is a little lower through your transcript, then maybe you send the test scores if they're only a little bit lower. And if this is a school that admits like a good percentage of students who apply, like 70%, something like that or above. Um, So it's tough. I mean, I've honestly recommended that students at some of these schools talk to the admission counselor about whether they should submit the scores or not. And sometimes students are sort of aghast at that. They're like, (laughs) but then they'll know. And I'm like, well, but they're here to help. Like what I think what students don't always understand is that admission officers want a strong pool. They want yes. students that they can admit. And so if you, they are going to help you be stronger, not by cheating, but they can help you by within the rules that they have set out, advising you on what might be, you know, best for you. I mean, they, you know, they'll typically, yeah. when I worked at university of Chicago, if a student asked me, about our economics program, I was very honest with them that it was a great program, program, but also, you know, kind of competitive because it was one of the best known in the world. So I was really straightforward about that. So I think um, you should use admission officers as allies in trying to figure these things out. Yeah, they're not out to get you. They're, they're, not, really, they're not secretly writing down those scores you told them over the phone and, and using it as an excuse to deny you. They they're really, on your side. They're trying yeah. to admit you if they can. <laughs> Honestly, even the highly selective schools, I took no joy and pleasure when I worked at Chicago in denying students. I, one of the things actually I worked at Whittier as well, one of the things I loved about it is that I really did get to admit most of my students and there was kind of more of a mentoring aspect. You know, if I had a student who was on the edge there, I was very direct with them about what they needed to do. At Chicago, I didn't have time to really like mentor any students, but I still didn't enjoy denying a student. Just no, not at all. That's the worst part of the job. Exactly. That's not fun. It's frankly upsetting, you know, because you're told you admit like, you know, you slayed a student for admission and then sometimes you even get invested in them. And then, you know, you're, you're, the dean comes back to you and says, okay, 
we've admitted 200 too many students. You've got to get rid of 15 from your region. And you're like, which ones? I already denied right. and and deny. <laughs> right. At a place like Chicago, it's not, you know, these aren't slackers you're denying. These are all top-notch, wonderful right. students. Oh, yeah. The, the few slackers who didn't understand what Chicago was got denied very early. Like right. that, there was no... <laughs> Like the kids we were denying overall were incredibly well qualified, fascinating yeah. students, interesting people, and we just yeah. didn't have room. So, yeah. all right. So the last thing about how will a school being test optional impact the review process? I mean, basically, colleges evaluate students in kind of buckets. There's the like at Chicago, we had the academic rating, and then we had the extracurricular rating. And then I don't know if Chicago still does this because this was under a previous dean. We had kind of an intellectual fit rating, which most schools don't have. I mean, most schools aren't as intellectual as Chicago, even top schools. So that was sort of a different beast. Um, And so basically the way it's going to work without a test score is that the academic rating is going to be based strictly on your transcript instead of your transcript and test scores. And then maybe some of the things that your teachers say about you, right? Right. So so it's just going to be more weight on your transcript. That's, That's the big difference there. Got it. Okay. All right. So it's your turn. You've heard me talk enough. (laughs) All right. So um, this is from Natalie and she says regarding the FAFSA 2023-2024, my daughter is a sophomore in high school. Can you explain how the FAFSA changes in the recent stimulus bill will affect us? Is it still based on prior prior year? Are the income and asset allowances higher or lower? Will we have a tool that we can use now to see what the EFC or SAI, you're going to have to explain what the SAI is, is so that we can get an idea on EFC, which I know is expected family contribution. That one I know. Yes, that that one's pretty well known, um, but it will not serve us well for very long because it's going away, that acronym. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were a lot of changes, and I think it's kind of flown under the radar a little bit in terms of what the, the general public knows uh, about the financial aid changes that went through in the, the recent stimulus bill. Um, there is a whole lot of changes to um, the FAFSA, to financial aid programs um, that were sort of attached onto this stimulus bill. Um, and it's not what, and one of the big things was that this EFC term is going away. Um, but it, the calculations themselves were not affected tremendously. Um, so Natalie is clearly you know, very um, in the loop about what's going on and the, the terminology. She's asking about the, the, the allowances for income and assets changed. Not tremendously. The income allowances went up a little bit, which is good for families. That, me- that means your contribution goes down a little bit. Um, and the asset allowances, I don't believe, changed at all. So the, the actual calculations are, are fairly similar, but it is now going to be called, instead of expected family contribution, the results of the FAFSA are going to be called the Student Aid Index. That's what the SAI is. Um, and again, it's just a change in terminology, and it's sort of in recognition of the fact that the term expected family contribution is a little bit misleading in that you don't necessarily pay your expected family contribution. It's really a way of comparing families who's needier than, than others. Um, so this term student aid index sort of better captures that idea more than expected family contribution. Uh, the biggest change I think for families is that it's going to be easier to apply for financial aid. It's going to be easier to complete the FAFSA. The FAFSA is being reduced. Now these changes, I should say, go into effect for the 20. 23-24 school year. So for folks filling out the FAFSA for uh, the next couple of years, it's not going to change. But uh, for 2023-24 and beyond, the FAFSA is going to be reduced from 108 questions to only 36 questions. So it's going to be much easier to complete the FAFSA. That was a very intentional move to help increase access to college, a very long, intimidating form uh, turns people off, turns particularly low-income, first-generation students off. They find it very difficult to complete. Uh, So it's going to be a lot easier to complete the form. Uh, A lot of questions are going away, questions about selective service registration, drug convictions, those are going away. All of the untaxed 
income questions, the information that cannot be pulled off of the tax return, those are going away. All of the income questions will can be pulled right off of your tax return. So it, the form is going to be a whole lot easier to fill out, um, I think, which is great. Uh, again, the calculations are probably not going to change a tremendous amount for most families. I think one of the biggest things um, that's going away uh, in the past, a myth that we have had to overcome quite a bit, folks have heard, if I contribute more to my 401k, that's going to reduce my adjusted gross income. So I should qualify for more financial aid, right? As sort of a secret strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, families have thought that has been a mis myth we've had to dispel because they actually ask you what you contribute to your 401k. They add it back to your income. Beginning with the 2023-24 school year, they are not. Um, so that actually is a way to reduce your income a little bit. Uh, be eligible perhaps for a little bit more financial aid. Um, some big changes also for divorced families, I think that are sig significant that families should know about. One, child support received, previously counted as income, will now count as an asset, which means it gets a gentler treatment in the financial mm -hmm. aid formula. So that's, that's a nice thing that will help families. One thing that may not help families is the definition of who is the custodial parent is going to change. Um, so the FAFSA only asks about information from the custodial parent in the case where parents are not married to each other. Um, so only one of your parents' information will be taken into account. Uh, currently, it is and has basically always been the parent that you live with most. But again, beginning with 2023-24, it is going to be the parent that provides the most support. Hmm. And, you know, I'd venture a guess most of the time the parent that provides the most support is the wealthier parent, the parent that makes the, the better income. Um, so that could potentially hurt students uh, whose parents are not married to each other compared to the process now. Um, so that's definitely something for families to be aware of. Uh, on the bright side, previously or currently, contributions that your non-custodial parent makes where they're not looking at that non-custodial parent's income but if that non-custodial parent is giving you gifts or paying for your college those count as student income currently uh, which hurts you uh, currently but again I think that looks like that's going away uh, again in those future years so kind of a mixed bag for families who are married the, the two parents are married to each other probably not a tremendous difference in in the final results of the FAFSA, the EFC are now FAI, but um, but maybe more so for divorced families. Um, it is still going to be based on prior prior year. Uh, and just to answer that last question, is is there a tool to calculate what that SAI is going to be? Not yet. The Department of Education still has to, you know, these are things that, you know, one line shows up in a bill and the Department of Education has to write pages and pages of regulations to actually implement that change. We don't have a calculator for SAI yet, but you can do an EFC calculator right now and it'll probably be pretty close uh, on bigfuture.org. There's a great EFC calculator. So more to come, but those are kind of some, some highlights of the changes. Mm -hmm. All right, great. All right, well, we're going to take a break, um, but Shannon and I will be back answering more questions in just a few minutes. Thanks, everyone. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one -on -one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. 
That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm still here with Shannon, and we are answering listener questions. So, Shannon, um, thanks for that comprehensive overview. Sounds like a lot of change is coming up on the finance side of things. So so that was a pretty smart question. Um, All right, now on to admissions, though. Yeah, so this next question came in from Aparna on our Facebook page. So, folks, just so you know, if you do have questions for us, just send us a message through our Facebook page um, and we will answer on an upcoming show. But Aparna asked, for schools like Carnegie Mellon and USC that give the option of applying to two schools or majors, if you give only one, will that disadvantage you in any way? Also, will giving two options put you at a higher risk of not getting your first choice major? Uh, and how does the school look at this if neither of the majors, neither of the majors are impacted majors? And you'll have to explain what impacted majors means. Mm-hmm. So I want to start off by saying that um, this can really vary from school to school. So yeah. this is another situation where I recommend calling the admission office or, you know, they're doing virtual tours, virtual campus visits right now, ask the question. There's no reason that they would lie to you about this. Um, But in general, um, there can be a disadvantage if you are applying to an extremely selective major like engineering, computer science, nursing, um, and you have no second choice. So there are schools, not all schools are like this. Some schools will just admit you into liberal arts and sciences or some other sort of default schools, but there are some schools that will then say, okay, this is, you know, this student is only interested in us if they can get into the computer science program. So we will not admit this student. Mm -hmm. It is never really going to be a disadvantage though, to like list that second major, you know, if you're qualified for engineering or computer science or nursing, they're going to admit you to it. They're not going to, play that kind of a game. So if you really like the school, and if you truly would be just as happy studying physics as engineering, or like maybe there's a computer science program in the School of Liberal Arts and Studies that's a little less selective than the one in the engineering department, put that one down as a second choice. Like that actually um, will up your chances of getting in, and it will not hurt your chances of getting into the actual computer you know, engineering program. Um, they're going to, you know, evaluate you there based on your own merits. So, um, and then, yeah, if neither of the majors are impacted, there really shouldn't be, um, there really shouldn't be an impact at all. I mean, if everything is in sort of what most schools call liberal arts and sciences, it shouldn't be a big deal. And then I do want to throw out there that there's a lot of schools where no majors are impacted. There's just more popular and less popular majors. I mean, you know, when I, uh, I went to read and, um, you know, biology was one of the most popular majors, but it wasn't impacted. If you wanted to be a bio major, you could be a bio major. So, um, so, you know, just be aware that there's also schools where this is not an issue, but in general, the larger public universities, this is almost always going to be an issue. And then, yeah, at a school like Carnegie Mellon, or I should say private schools that have separate or private universities that have separate schools within them, that's usually a tip off that you might run into that. Um, but again, I, you know, ask your admission counselor yeah. um, and also think carefully. I mean, some students are so focused on going to one college that they, you know, they say, well, you know, if I don't apply into this, then maybe I'll have a better chance of getting into it. And I'm like, yeah, but how would you feel if you went to that school and you couldn't study what you wanted to study? And they're like, right. That's, that was my first thought when I heard the question, well, what, if you want to be an engineer, 
don't indicate an English major. <laughs> What's the point right. of getting into the English program at the school if you can't do study what you want to study? I suppose in some cases there are very similar majors. Where- I think there are. Yeah. Like, you know, one is in like, yeah, like I have seen it. This is pretty rare, but I have seen schools where there's computer engineering and computer science. And the engineering oh, yes. is a little more selective than computer science. They're both selective, though, by the way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, when I tell students to think about, I do run into some students where it's clearly engineering or bus. They've wanted to be an engineer since they were 10. Like, it's just, yeah. you know, they always build things. They love math. You know, it's, yeah. it's clearly what they should do. But then there's other students who just heard engineering is a good major. And then maybe, like, why not? And with them, maybe this is something to take yeah. into account, you know? So, yeah. I remember talking to uh, um, an admission officer when I worked at Chicago. He worked at Case. uh, um, He worked at another school. Sorry, I won't name the name of the school. It was not Case. Uh, I just want to be very clear. I thought you were just going to pretend like we all didn't hear that. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I just want to be really clear. Um, But anyway, he got into Chicago and then he got into a school that had engineering. So he went to the school that had engineering And then he transferred to being an English major. And so for him, there was a little bit of regret, right? Um, Although I, although he told me himself that he had great, he got a great education out of it regardless. Right. But it was like, so think about, think about that only if you're wishy-washy, but if you want to do engineering, frankly, you should study engineering. I mean, I was a history major. I have been very happy with my career path, but engineering is, it's a little easier to find that path is what I would say. Right. Exactly. And out of my own curiosity, the term impacted major, I always think of the University of California system, but is that a universal term that that other colleges use? You know, it's a good point. I don't, I mean, I lived in California for many years, so it might just be, to me, it's just such a good way to describe it. Um, yeah, so it might be it, it basically more selective major. Right, the harder to get into major. Harder to get into, more selective, um, yeah. more people, there are more people who want to get into that major than they have spaces for, basically. Gotcha. So, okay. whereas, you know, English, you want to do English, you want to do history, and frankly, you want to do physics or chemistry, which could lead you to engineering later on if you wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. Those are going to be available to you. Right. Perfect. Uh, the next question that came in says, my son who happens to be a legacy hook, got deferred from Wharton ED, um, got deferred from Wharton during the ED round. What does that really mean, being deferred? What are his real chances? Uh, how are deferred applications read in the regular round? And is there anything he can do now to improve his chances? So let's start with what he could do now. Um, I mean, you can write a letter. That's basically what we always recommend that students do. It doesn't usually, like the students typically want to just do everything, right? So they want to submit three extra recommendations. They want to, but really the main thing you can do, unless the college is explicitly soliciting something else, um, is, is write a letter just basically restating your interest. If UPenn is still his top choice, you should, he should say so. And he should also detail any accomplishments since, you know, November 1st or earlier when he submitted his application. Um, you know, and, and the letter doesn't need to be super long, but it should restate some of his, I mean, open up with, I still want to go to UPenn. And also, be careful how you phrase it. It's kind of funny because I've seen students be like, well, I was very disappointed at being deferred and I think you made a big mistake, but I still want to go. Like, that is not the tone (laughs) that you want to take. It may be how you're feeling, but you want to be nice. So you want to say... Take it down a notch. (laughs) Take it down a notch. Maybe write the letter once you're a little calmer. Have a friend read it. And... um, you know, and instead phrase it as, you know, thank you for the opportunity to be reviewed again as an applicant. Um, I just wanted to let you know that UPenn remains my first choice for these particular reasons. Don't make it a tome. It doesn't have to be longer than a page. Um, but do put in like a paragraph about the reasons why you really do think UPenn is the right match for you. And then again, like if you have accomplished anything else through extracurriculars or something, do include a paragraph on that. What you don't need to do is highlight your new grades because they are getting that information as well. I mean, of course, you could certainly say something like, very proud to say I've maintained my grades, but you don't need to detail them because they're going to be getting that transcript. They know that already. And do not, again, send in a bunch of recommendations that are going to say the same thing. If there's a letter of recommendation, if they give you that opportunity and there's one that really can address something new, then that could be useful. Uh, But otherwise, I don't recommend it. 
Okay, sounds good. The the next question came in from Pooja. My eighth grader has the option of pursuing an AP curriculum or IB curriculum in her high school. Is one curriculum considered more impressive to colleges than the other? If both are considered on par, would it reflect badly on her if she opts for seven to eight APs instead of the full IB diploma? All right, so I apologize for this, but I want to go back to Aparna's question because I realized oh, okay. I didn't answer one part of it about what's really going on when a student is deferred from early oh, yes. decision. So some colleges are really great in their deferral policies, and if you get deferred, you still have a legitimate shot at getting in regular decision. Georgetown is pretty notable for that. I've seen students get in regular. They're, they're hardest to get into early action, I should say. So that does make a difference. But when you're applying early decision and you're deferred, I really recommend that students kind of take to heart that they are probably not going to get in because otherwise they would have gotten in early. So I'm not going to say that no one ever gets in, but it is exceedingly rare. And so I tell students to really try and emotionally move on from that college, you know, write the letter, but then move on because really the odds have decreased. And at a place like UPenn, the odds were already very low. So, you know, um, I mean, often early decision they're admitting and especially early decision legacy, like that's probably your best chance. That's when you had your best chance. right? So I like, I just think you need to kind of absorb the fact that it might have been it just, you're just probably not going to get in. I don't know you. I don't know your son. So I can't say for sure, but that's usually what that means. So yeah, sorry about that. So um, sorry, back to yeah. back to this one about the eighth grader. AP right. An AP versus IB curriculum. Okay. All right. So um, the IB curriculum historically, at least when I was at Chicago and at Reed, like we really loved it because it was a comprehensive curriculum, like they ended up doing a senior project. They had that great class theory of knowledge. Um, And so a student who did a full diploma, like who did everything, that was incredibly well regarded. And honestly, like we would take a student who had a couple B's uh, because they had taken such a tough Mm -hmm. curriculum. Whereas we might, we, you know, in general, you had to have A's to be competitive in Chicago. Um, AP has since added some classes that are similar to that. So if you did like the full AP curriculum and you did those things, I think it would really in these days be quite similar. So I'm not going to say like one or the other one is going to be better for you. So I would try and think about which one is going to be better for your daughter. Um, The way some IB curriculums are um, designed, a, a challenge can be that you're supposed to really specialize and narrow down by your senior year. So that can work very well for students who have a good sense of what they want to kind of specialize in already. Mm-hmm. Most students are still needing to try out a lot of different things. And in that situation, the AP curriculum is going to probably be more flexible. Now, every high school seems to do things, every district seems to do things a little differently. So again, you need to like go back um, to that, but I don't want you to worry about it in terms of college, um, you know, college admissions. So what the college admissions are going to care about is, are you taking the most rigorous curriculum available to you? Um, you know, how does your curriculum compare to other students? Now, of course, this depends on the school. I mean, you know, Chicago, yes, Chicago wants the most rigorous curriculum available to you. So that would mean the full diploma. That would mean everything basically possible. Um, the, you know, a school that's a little less selective doesn't need absolutely everything. So I, you know, I I don't want to say, I I really think you need to come back to the question of what's going to work best for your daughter. You know, if she takes everything and she gets straight B's, then most of these highly selective colleges aren't going to be options for her anyway. So try and like think, you know, carefully about what she's going to be able to do. Um, and do successfully, and while still getting some sleep every night, you know? (laughs) Right, very important, yes. Yeah, I I think it's very easy to get so narrowly focused on the college admissions process and what's going to be most impressive for that, but you have to, you know, remember this is a kid, this is your kid, (laughs) and what's going to help them develop and Mm -hmm. be a joyful person should, should enter the equation. Well, and I always like to remind people, you know, like Warren Buffett left UPenn 
he didn't get into Harvard. He left UPenn. He was in the Wharton School, transferred back to University of Nebraska. I think he's done okay for himself. You think, I, think, yeah? I think he's all right. I think he's all right. So, exactly. um, you know, like, there's a lot of paths to success. 100%. Uh, the next question that came in from Laura, um, and y- you referenced when being deferred, not sending in a whole bunch of new recommendation letters, and, and this, this question is about recommendation letters. Mm-hmm. How do you assess whether or not a letter of recommendation from an alum would either help or hurt a student in the application process. Many students have family friends who may have graduated from a specific school and may offer to write a letter of recommendation. Would you take them up on this offer? Um, I wouldn't bother, not because it won't, not because it's going to hurt them, but because it'll be completely neutral and it won't do anything. Right. Um, I, where, where those letters can sometimes have an impact is not to the admission office, but if that person is a major donor or is in other ways highly influential with the school, they're going to be able to contact, say, the development office or the alumni, and then that person can kind of assess how important this person is. Mm-hmm. Is this person a VIP within this community, and then that person will tell the dean of admissions. But a letter in a file just because somebody went to the school is going to have absolutely zero impact. And I know alumni often, I, I, I regularly have had to disappoint alumni over time by telling them that what they think does not matter. <laughs> I mean, the only, the only the, where, it, where they can help is if they are interviewing students um, you know, like that's where alumni can be valuable in the admission process, but they can't give an extra edge just because they know someone. All right. Well, I have to I have to wrap things up now. So thanks so much, Shannon. You're so welcome. It's my pleasure. All right. And thanks so much to Mary Suyun as well. So I want to remind everybody to get ready for our show airing January 21st when Beth Heaton will be hosting the show. She'll be covering some particularly compelling topics with her guests, including a work-sponsored path to education, which I think is pretty cool, and do's and don'ts of asking for more money for college. Um, And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show um, is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. And you can also download every show for free on iTunes. If you want to search for a particular show topic, go to our blog page at blog.getintocollege.com. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.